What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, when the wind blows, the cradle will rock. I'm Joe McCormick. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And our host, Jonathan Strickland, is not with us today because uh, he is out having a very futuristic procedure today. Yeah, he's getting his eyes lasered. Sounds pretty cool. Like pew pew. He he reported in, uh the surgery went well and he is in recovery, doing fine. So Well, uh so while he is uh convalescing, we thought we would do a listener request podcast. Yeah. So uh today's topic request comes from our listener Brian in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Brian wanted to hear about What's the deal with robot childcare? Yeah, I I mean, because we've got robots doing all kinds of things. I mean, we kind of technically have... They can weld car doors. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, which relates to childcare in many ways. Uh-huh. They can uh, they can wage war on humans, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's usually have really. human controllers involved there. I mean, we already have baby monitors. We technically have limited 
robots watching your children. Maybe. Kind okay, of. You, maybe. you might call that a robot. Okay, that might sort of fit into a, a framework that we can put up and discuss in a bit here. Uh, but, okay, let's give a little disclaimer before we get into this discussion, which is that from my perspective, and I, I'm someone, I'm not a parent myself. Uh, neither of us are parents. Uh, so we should get that out on the table. We don't necessarily speak from experience. Um, but I at least observe that discussions about parenting are fraught with subtle judgments and sometimes make. not uh, so subtle sometimes really really out there in your face judgments yeah so we just want to say here at the beginning that we intend none of that whatsoever uh we just want to have a discussion about technology the possibilities and and not make any judgments about the way people parent or the choices they make uh Raising their kids. Uh, right, because everyone does it differently. It's certainly not an easy task for anybody. I think that everyone's doing the best that they can, and uh, we would not know. So. Yeah, and as a robot would not judge, we will not judge. We want to emulate that sort of like cold, steely indifference and neutrality that our that our robot overlords have modeled for us so well. Okay, I, I think that our first point actually goes with that pretty well. Yeah? I think it's a little bit cold. Is it? Yeah, so as much as we love our children, I, I do think it's worth saying that for lots of people, many aspects of childcare are not necessarily the most highly prized activities. And that's not necessarily something I think people should be ashamed to admit. Like you can totally love your kid and still not be thrilled about changing his or her diapers. Uh, right. Or having to make them eat food when they don't want to eat food or take them screaming through various public spaces. Right. And in a lot of cases, I'd say that the idea that I really wish I could have some machine to help me do this, it's not even necessarily a question of preference. It might be something about necessity. Like, you have limited time resources, right? Uh, sure. A thing that's pretty frequently talked about is the expense of raising kids um, in, in terms of actual monetary dollar values. And uh, as of 2012 in the U.S., from birth to the age 17, it's an average of $241,080 um, to raise a child. Nothing. So, <laughs> And, and that's that's a kid born in 2012. But the time expense involved in raising a child is a lot more difficult to calculate. Um, and that's putting it a little bit coldly, but it, it's definitely a thing to think about. I mean, it's it's certainly a factor in whether or not people decide to have children at all. Right. Well, uh, there are a whole lot of really important decisions that come into play once you've had a child. Um, like the question about whether one parent will stay home with the child to help raise the child or whether both parents are going to work. That's a, a thing that's uh, a lot of people worry about now. That's one of those areas where you see people making judgments at each other. And Oh, certainly. It, um, I find that kind of strange, but I do certainly recognize that it's a serious question. Oh, right? yeah. You know, and it's not always feasible for to have any parents stay home in, in these are modern economic times. Um, as of 2012 in the U.S., of the families that included a married, a married couple and uh, children under the age of 18, um, 59 percent had both parents working. And of all mothers, 70.5 um, percent were looking for work or were working or looking for work. Yeah. And in some other countries, it's it's different, right? Uh, well, you know, here here in the U.S., um, I think it's partially due to the lack of of national paid family leave. Um, 
American women are guaranteed 12 weeks of unpaid leave, but the U.S. is one of the very few nations in the world that offers no paid maternal leave guaranteed to its citizens. Uh, Canada, for example, offers 50 weeks. Pakistan offers 12 weeks. Papua New Guinea and Swaziland are right there with us at zero. Um, and, and some countries offer paternal leave, too. Iceland and Norway lead that worldwide with uh, about 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah. So if you don't have parental leave and, and you're in a situation where you need to return to work in order to have enough money to support your family, um, you're probably going to have to turn to something like daycare. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't have a have a close family member who can provide that kind of support, then absolutely. And it's not always easy to procure that kind of daycare. In Japan, for example, some parents have to wait like two years on a list before getting a spot. It's such a problem that as of fall 2013, the prime minister... Shinzo Abe promised to create 400,000 more daycare spots by 2017. It's one of those politician <laughs> promises that and, and such a huge number. I'm like, oh, no, this is a this is a problem, y'all. I don't know why I laughed. That's that's not that funny, but it, it, it just seems so it seems ludicrous. Alien. Right, right. The, the fact that I mean, you know, it's I think it's that part of the equation is a lot easier here in the United States. We have pretty plentiful child care services, but but they're expensive. I yeah. think that I think that I saw it listed. I don't have the fact in front of me, but as as one of the top household expenditures outside of the physical house that you are living in. Yeah, I can believe it. So with all these logistical and economic pressures on parents today, I can really see why somebody would start to think, man, if only I had a machine that could provide really good care for my child when I really need to be doing something else. Right, right. You know, that, that becomes sort of understandable why somebody might yearn for that. Oh. Um, so, okay, so I want to kind of put together a framework for thinking about the different kinds of things that a child care robot might do. Um, so the first one and what seemed like the easiest thing to me would be basically entertainment. This is a thing I think a lot of parents use to sort of buy themselves some time. Like, you know, I really need to wash the dishes uh, so I can put the child in front of the computer or in front of the TV or give the child some kind of activity to do. Oh, right. So that for the love of everything holy, I can go take a shower. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that one doesn't seem like that much of a stretch, actually. And you can imagine some very rudimentary robots that maybe wouldn't even necessarily meet the definition of a robot, but there's some kind of machine that's at least engaging enough for the child that it really holds the child's attention. And there's um, not a lot of risk of the child constantly becoming distracted and wandering over toward the knife block. Right. Now, you might ask, in what sense, if you're just talking about entertainment, would a robot be uh, better than just, like, say, a computer game or a TV show or Angry something? Angry Birds, like? uh-huh. Yeah, and I guess one advantage is you could say that an interactive robot playmate, if it was sufficiently realistic in mimicking human behavior, that might be, and I'm not necessarily sure it would be, but it might be more pro-social and more engaging to the child, more uh, kind of modeling behavior. Uh, sure, and because, you know, one of the... One of the rejections of, of television and computer games and stuff like that for, for especially very young children is that they're not learning any kind of socialization skills and that they're kind of, you know, rotting their brain, I think, is the highly scientific term that gets tossed around a lot. Yeah. Well, it's passive and it, and the, they don't learn any skills on how to interact. Right. 
Um, okay, so the first one would be that sort of entertainment thing, but the second, I guess, would be the sort of child maintenance tasks, like the, uh, you are in some sense when you're a parent, you're sort of a child custodian. So you have to change diapers, feed the child, wash the child. I'm sure there's lots of other things I don't even know about. <laughs> um, it, it's sort of like the, the physical mechanical activities of taking care of the child to help keep her, him or her healthy, clean, comfortable, happy. Um, and this seems like more of a stretch than the entertainment, but at the same time, not necessarily outside the realm of possibility. Right, because we do have robotics that are capable of interacting very delicately with things, although we are just starting to develop those, really. I think that safety concerns would be at the top of the maybe not so much list for this category. Exactly. So you can put a lot of trust in a robotic arm that is, you know, welding a car door thousands of times a day. I mean, obviously, car companies that use these invest in them and trust them enough to risk messing up all this equipment if they don't work right. Mm-hmm. But still, you feel like more is at risk if huh. your your baby is there. And if the diaper changing robot, you know, accidentally even just nudges your baby too hard. That's something you really, really don't want. Of course. And also babies, I, I imagine, squiggle around a whole lot more than that car door that's that's being welded. There's probably a lot more variables to worry about in terms of children than there are in terms of cars. Yeah. And I actually imagine in, that it's a harder uh, robot programming problem to do that delicate touch than oh, it is to sure. just precisely weld something. Yeah, well, well, there's there's all that conversation about how difficult it is to get sensory feedback in a robot correct, so that so that you can pick up, for example, a styrofoam cup without crushing it. It's something that we as humans take for granted because we've got a really complex feedback system in our brains and sensory apparatus, uh, nerves yeah, and stuff the, in our the hands. The haptic feedback, we uh-huh. get, yeah, right. Um, okay, so those are sort of items one, two: entertainment and then child maintenance. Three is where we start getting into the, wow, this would be amazing, but I don't know. And this is keeping children safe, right? So that's the that's the keeping them, like physically preventing them from running over to that knife block. Yeah, uh, running into the street, crawling onto the stove. I mean, you never realize how many deadly things are in your house until there's a baby there. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you know, uh, my wife and I had a friend who brought his child over to our house and suddenly our house, which normally seems so comfortable, seemed so dangerous to me. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, no. All of a oh, sudden you no. look at everything that has a corner on it and you're uh-huh. just like, oh, crap. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> taking care of a child and keeping that child safe obviously is something that's a very sensitive task and requires attention. Like a lot of what this parenting investment probably is, is a lot of times you're not even necessarily doing anything directly you're just keeping a really close eye on things mm-hmm. to make sure nothing dangerous happens. Uh, right. Al- allowing the child to to explore and play and, and interacting with it, but but also, yeah, making sure it doesn't kill itself. Yeah. Now, this is where the robotics starts getting really difficult for me, um, because unless you're in a very controlled environment, say like a safe room of some kind, you would need incredibly advanced AI on a robot that was designed to keep children safe. 
it would have to have something way beyond any kind of AI that that robots are capable of today. And very advanced motorization as well. It's really oh, difficult yeah. at, at this juncture in robotics for us to create something that moves around with that kind of ease. Yeah. So just imagine the scenario is the child is running out into the street and a car is coming. So now you have to combine not only the, a robot with enough good uh, sensory input to see that the danger is arriving, but good enough AI to realize that this is a danger. Um, this, the delicate touch we were talking about in the, you know, the diaper changing robot, because it would have to be able to scoop the child out of harm's way in a way that wouldn't hurt the child. Uh, right. Because if you just hit the child with a speeding robot instead of a speeding car, you're not helping the situation. Right. It, once you get to this stage, you're really starting to get into the, I think, the kind of sci-fi area of robotics where th- this is way, way out there if mm-hmm. it's ever possible. So, uh, so so what's the most what's the most ridiculous thing that you've thought of? OK, so, yeah, those are levels one through three. I would say that probably the hardest one is the idea of nurture. I, and that's sort of an abstract concept. But basically, I'd say it's a synthesis of education, encouragement and emotional bonding. It's that other thing parents do for their kids that's not sort of a mechanical task or involved in physical safety. But it's what parents do when they're having a relationship with their child. And and that's also maybe one of the things that that people pass the most judgment on of, of whether or not a, a human being is ever doing a good enough job teaching their child and loving their child and, and paying attention to their child. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's this incredibly deep, human, nuanced kind of task that I don't know if we even really understand it well enough to codify what humans should be doing. Oh, we don't. (laughs) Uh, Much less to have a robot do it for us. uh, There's a lot of, you know, psychobehavioral kind of studies out there about this sort of thing. And and we're we're learning more about how brains develop. But it's it's all it's all very research based right now. Yeah. And then there's the other question of once you get to that level you're probably talking about tasks where I'd imagine most parents wouldn't want a robot to replace them in this sort of nurturing category, even if it would free them up some time. Like that's the kind that's of sort of like the core of being a parent. That's why they became a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, OK, so we've talked about this framework now, but what's actually out there? Like, are are there any robots that are anywhere close to being a child care robot? Uh, well, there's already some robots for older adult companionship. Um, and and I and I say companionship because it's it's not a caregiving kind of thing, really. Um, you know, you've got that that paro the oh the harp seal yeah the seal pup robot it's so cute it is so cute it's um, a fuzzy little monster. <laughs> Fuzzy little electronic monster, absolutely. Um, and, and there's others in testing that are that are more humanoid shaped. There's one called the MobiServe um, that's being tested in Europe right now. But um, but you know the the tasks involved in childcare and and companionship for the elderly are so incredibly different. You know, but both mm-hmm. involve monitoring and sympathetic interactions. But but companion robots are more like safety and reminder kind of based things. But what they're talking about there is something that's going to go like, oh, hey, you left the stove on. Please turn that off. Or, oh, hey, did you take your medications today? Or, 
Hey, you seem like you're making that face that I have learned is sad. Would you like to call somebody and talk to them about how sad you are? You know, that that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not the kind of inter- interaction that you can have with a with a baby. Some experts think that it might be 25 years before we see reliable senior care robots on the market. And the kind of care that, that you were talking about in, in your list of, of possible robot tasks there, what's required for, for all of those is going to vary widely based on any given child's age, moods, and, and particular needs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about the the soft touch? That's something I'm pretty curious about. Uh, the kind of very delicate handling that any robot dealing with a child whose bones are still forming and all that, or even if the fully formed bones, you still probably need to be delicate, I guess. <laughs> right. Um material science is going to start helping out with this and we're we are just brushing the surface of that kind of thing researchers are working on soft robots and flexible electronics you know th- things that move more like muscle and skin and don't have hard edges for baby to fall on i you know i was just thinking about how terrified i would be if something like r2d2 showed up for my child to play with that thing is just i mean it's mostly smooth but how mm-hmm. many surfaces could it smack its head into that's awful um yeah what i'm saying is that r2d2 would be a terrible babysitter <laughs> um I'm sorry, R2, I love you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, robotic engineering has so traditionally focused on rigid materials that there aren't even really soft material simulation tools available to robotic developers right now. And, um, and, and even power sources would have to be totally rethought for that kind of thing because a traditional rotary motor would be really restrictive to something that's trying to be kind of amorphous and, and movable and soft. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, power is obviously one of the big issues, especially if you want a robot that's going to follow your child around in the park. And again, like we said, make sure it doesn't go out in the street. Right. All of that physical capacity stuff, like like we were saying earlier, sensing and moving around sound like they're easy to do. But for robots, they're very, very complicated, as we have talked about before on the show. Yeah. Uh, Then kind of kind of following down your list, you've got Emotion recognition and simulation of emotion to okay. worry about. Um, because, so you know, in, in order. That would, that would play in in sort of one and four, right? Like in the like social interaction and in the, the nurturing. Sure. And all of that is, is being studied and developed, but it's, it's so complex. You know, input from humans is really nuanced and varied. Um, all, all of that stuff with, with semantics and pattern recognition is so basic right now. Mm-hmm. And we have so much of it to learn about ourselves before we can teach a robot how to do it. Yeah. Well, I read a couple of studies actually saying that um, a sufficiently, you know, convincing humanoid robot can get a, a child to want to interact with it and sort of ascribe some human emotions to it. Uh-huh, and and it, at least be curious about it. Right. It might it might be harder to work back the other way to get the robot to recognize like the emotions of the child and, and sort of understand its needs. To to be totally honest, whenever whenever I read stuff about this, I'm like, there are many days when I'm not sure what's going on with other people based on their facial expressions. So <laughs> therefore, I'm not sure how I could expect a robot to do the same thing. Yeah. So how far away is just like Rosie, the Jetsons? You know, you know, I don't think that we're ever going to have a Rosie. Honestly, I, I think that that's <laughs> one of those things like like it'd be nice, like the singularity. That sounds terrific. But, you know. I, I think part of what we need in order to have robot child care is, is a basic change in the way that we think about human-robot interaction. You know, 
if 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 we have this concept that we're going to have this this robot, this kind of better than human, perfect thing that is more capable than we are doing tasks for us that we just don't want to do, that's that's science fiction, folks. Uh, at least it certainly is for the foreseeable future. And I think that a lot of our concepts about all that is really rooted in science fiction, which is a terrific model for for thinking about the future, obviously. I mean, I mean, we talk about it so much on the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you, whenever you talk about interacting with robots, you have to think about Asimov. Oh, right? yeah. And, and his and his rules, those those three rules of robotics. Right. right. Robots can't harm humans. Uh-huh. Right. Number one. Number two is they have to obey humans. Right. And then three is they can't self-destruct. Right. But they're prioritized like that. Exactly. Yeah. And then two and three are each based on. Right. The the previous rules. Um, But but the thing is, is that these these rules were written to be interestingly flawed. I mean, the yeah. story that he wrote happens because of the flaws. And so you can't really base reality on inherently flawed rules. Right. A, a couple engineers, David Woods and Robin Murphy, have done some interesting writing about that. And, and they say that better rules would focus on a realistic view of human responsibility for, for safety and ethics in robot deployment. It's true. Once you get into the idea of a more complex robot interacting with the child, say anything beyond maybe one or two of the list, like once you're getting into full on interaction, robust interaction Mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, is uh, sort of free ranging and that the child's safety is dependent upon. Right. Once you get into that realm, you're really talking about machine ethics, which is a whole other topic. Yeah. Um, And and one that we could do tons of shows about and probably will in the future. I'm um, sure that this will come up again. Yes. But I want to bring it back to examples because I'm sure, you know, uh, like Brian was asking about this. I mean, everybody's wondering, like, is, it, is anybody trying to sell a child care robot today? I mean, is there anything like that? The answer is there are some things that are sort of like that that are prototypes. Uh, yeah, there are related products, but. I mean, basically, the answer is not at all. Yeah. Um, the, but l- let's talk about a few of the things that are sort of kind of. Yeah, sure. Um, back in 2008, there was buzz about this Japanese company, Japanese robotics company, T-Musk's shopping helper bot. And uh, this is like a like a shopping daycare kind of thing. And this was a child sized, like like 1.4 meter or four foot seven robot that would help mind children in a couple Japanese department stores. Like it had a little projector in one eye and a camera in the other, and it could identify children based on little badges that you could put on them. But that was for extremely short periods of time, hypothetically under human supervision. It it was more of that category one entertainment sort of robot than an actual child care helper. Yeah. Um, along that line is something that's been experimented with by a Japanese company, NEC. Oh, um, right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so they've made a sort of a communication companion robot called Paparo. Um, now, it, I think it's not exactly Paparo we're talking about, but uh, I found one thing that was NEC had a U.S. patent filed in 2005, published 2013, for, quote, child care robot and method of controlling the robot. Um, and so NEC has been experimenting with some prototypes of child care robots, but these are not robust child care robots like run into the street 
uh, it's more like a robot that's sort of a uh, a fun interaction kind of thing. Uh, right. Something in between um, in between that that one and that four, which is such a weird space to play in. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I think that that's part of the problem is, is that when people are designing stuff like this, they're really hoping for four. What they're actually capable of is not quite one. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, it's like maybe it's a little better better than a computer game, but. It's not nurture. It's it's absolutely not nurture. Yeah, but but so so this thing this thing is adorable. Um, uh, yeah, it's a well. So in the, I first before I was even reading about Paparo, I saw this patent uh, on this the childcare robot, which looks a lot like Paparo. Right. Um, it seems to be based on the same kind of design, and it, it's like uh, you know I love you, Nanny McSnowman. It, <laughs> it looks like a funny little <laughs> rolling snowman thing. It does. Uh, and then they they also recently have come out with a uh, a, a new version. That, I think it's a stationary version, the Paparo Petite. Um, and th- but that's being billed more not as a childcare robot, but as uh, an elder companion. Oh, right, thing. right. Um, it, it's got you know s- sensors to to track stuff, uh, microphones, cameras, um, uh, temperature sensors to make sure that there's no fire going on, stuff like that. It can apparently find people even in complete darkness, which I think is a really terrifically creepy. But, I mean, but important sensory apparatus. But as we were saying earlier. All of these features are pretty easy to to implement or, or to see implemented, to imagine being implemented as an elder care robot. But it gets a lot more ethically tricksy when you try to apply that to children. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing I do think that's interesting about this, though, is the idea of a communication robot. So it's sort of like uh, keeping track of what's going on visually. Uh-huh. Um, this does introduce to me an idea that I think might be much more feasible in the short term than an autonomous childcare robot, which is a childcare telepresence robot. Oh yeah, th- that could be that could be cool. So telepresence robots, you know, they're they're already showing up in like weird Silicon Valley offices where you basically you stick an iPad on top of a it looks like a scooter. And it just rolls around the office with somebody's face who didn't want to fly in. And, you know, so, so that they, they can... ram into your door to let you know that they want to come in and have a meeting with you. And then yeah. they can come up to the water cooler and uh-huh. hang out and talk there. Sure. Yeah, we're not making this up. This is a real no. phenomenon. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure if it's all that widespread, but some people are really doing this. But I can see it having some value in childcare. Like if you want to have at least a visual and auditory presence with your child when you're not there, um, a sort of moving telepresence robot that shows your face on a screen, translates your voice, and can move around with the child might be sort of an upgrade over just, like, Skype on a static computer screen. Uh, sure, and I could see it being valuable as a kind of advanced baby monitor, like the kind of thing where if you want to go into your office in another room of the house and get some work done and have your robot hanging out with your baby... Um, but, you know, but still be able to kind of check over on a on a second screen or something like that and see what the baby's up to and talk to it if you want to. Yeah. 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 yeah I can totally see that. Actually, I can also see if we want to get closer to that sci fi vision. Let's imagine that the sort of um, movement and uh, and handling of the robot, sort of all the physical capabilities of the robot really outpace the artificial intelligence aspect you could maybe get a telepresent safety robot. Like we were saying, it's going to be really hard 
to make a robot that autonomously keeps children out of danger. Um, maybe some types of danger, but you know, it's not going to be foolproof. I can imagine a telepresence robot where, okay, well, you've really gotten movement kind of down. Um, but it just doesn't know what to do in every case. Maybe if you are looking through a screen and you're controlling this from a distance, okay. Yeah, but but at, at that point, are you really saving time if you have to spend <laughs> all your time point. at the office? Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe you can uh, get grandma who lives a few states away to control the robot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a good point. And telepresence robots are being thought about for for medical purposes a lot, which I think cross over into both elder care and child care uh, in in terms of, you know, as as developments in the medical field spur more better robots for for those kind of purposes, then maybe we'll see some of that tracking over into these fields. Yeah. Um, And okay, so now that we've talked about this, I do kind of want to back up and get a little bit of perspective on this. there was one thing I wanted to reference because I thought this was a good source. It was from a few years back. It was in uh, 2008. There was an editorial in Science by the roboticist Noel Sharkey called The Ethical Frontiers of Robotics. And in this piece, Sharkey sort of warns about, hey, let's not necessarily rush into this whole thing with uh, robots taking these social roles, like, say, entering the battlefield or doing, uh, you know, child care. Yeah, he he was a little bit harsh about it. Um there have been some studies in the in the senior care sector about uh, reactions to these companion robots and they've generally found those interactions to be favorable. But my my favorite quote in this piece by Sharkey was um they meaning robot companions for the elderly are being touted as a solution to the contact problem. But these are still toys that do not alleviate elder isolation, even if they may relieve some of the guilt felt by relatives or society in general about this problem. The success of these robots may stem from people being systematically deluded about the real nature of their relationship to these devices. Oh, that's interesting, but harsh. Of course, then again, you could also say that we enjoy our relationships with our pets because we're systematically deluded about yeah. what our pets think of us. I, th- I think that that's like kind we, of the if, point. I... <laughs> if we were small enough, our pets would eat us. Of course they would. <laughs> I mean, we look delicious. Oh, but and, and just because they're grinning doesn't mean that they're smiling. It means that they're panting. Yeah. But, but yeah. But at any rate, uh, I mean, we, we still get a positive interaction out of that, whether or not it's based on delusion. Yeah, he he also warned against um, the possible effects of having a child uh, get too much of its parenting from a robot. One analogy he drew was to uh, studies of the development of young monkeys that actually he he referred to what I think he was referring to as a, a controversial study about what happens when you take away real monkey mothers from the monkey babies. And, and um, put in a, a wooden and wire monkey that that does have that does contain milk, I think. But you uh, I know, think the, some of them had milk and some didn't, mm-hmm. and some were covered in cloth and some weren't. Um, this is a controversial experiment, and it's now considered to have been below ethical standards for how you should treat animals in experiments. But um, it, it did show that monkeys don't develop right if if they don't have the right uh, actual 
parenting presences. Uh, yeah, the, the the wooden monkey babies were uh, pretty were, were, were antisocial and just not not responsive in the correct ways. Well, the way he puts it is studies of early development in monkeys have shown that severe social dysfunction occurs in infant animals allowed to develop attachments only to inanimate surrogates. Now, I would on one hand, I, I can see that. On the other hand, here we're talking about kind of crude, inanimate approximations of a monkey mother shape. Yeah, uh, an unmoving a, puppet. Right. Which It might be a different thing entirely if you're talking about a fairly convincing robot. Uh, right. Anything that responds to you is obviously going to be more interactive and, and more socializing than something that abs- that has zero response. Yeah. It's that whole "I love you, cold, unfeeling robot arm" kind of kind of thing. <laughs> Invader Sim fans, anyone? Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, in the end, I think we really just don't know, and obviously, it's not going to be ethical ethical to just experiment on children. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, no one is proposing. Well, no one that I've read about is proposing just taking babies and giving them to robots and seeing what happens. No. Well, I mean, I'm all for research to see in a very controlled and ethical setting, obviously, you know, what what children can get out of certain interactions with robots. I guess I mean the human equivalent, like we shouldn't be like stealing babies away from their parents and (laughs) and and giving them to crazy robots. Yeah. The Goblin King styled robots. None none of that. David Bowie. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if if a robot saying. That'd Saying David Bowie to my baby, I would be pretty down for that. That would be a great robot babysitter. That's Maybe this is why I don't have babies. Yeah. Um, okay. But- <laughs> well, Brian, we have now talked about robot child care. And your basic answer is interesting question, but um, we're just going to have to wait and see about that one. Yes. And thank you so much for asking that question. If you have any questions that you would like to ask us, you can find everything that you want at our website, all of the ways of contacting us. The website is at www dot fwthinking.com you can also find us on facebook and twitter and google plus where we are fw thinking you can furthermore and this is relatively new exciting technology you can email us <gasps> we are finally receiving email it only took like a year is that fw thinking at discovery.com that is correct joe thank you so yeah we we hope to hear from you about Anything that you want to hear about or, hey, if you've got a response for us, uh, we're going to start trying to do some some listener letters on air. So, oh, yeah. So send those in. And uh, either way, we will talk to you guys again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It's brand new, season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.